that pale, huh? Jesus, I, I look like a ghost. I feel like I've bled out two gallons. What? No. Not a scratch. Sorry to ramble, it's just that I'm... What's the word for it? Detached. Strange feeling. Seen it enough times in the field. Sort of figured if I was ever going to experience it myself, that I would have experienced it by now. Hell of a thing. I feel like I'm floating outside my body. Just cut the cord and I'd float away. Did you see the crime scene? Don't. Don't look at the pictures. Don't even touch the file. He'll thank me. I can't get my knees to stop rattling. Is that why you're holding on to the coffee like that? I'm shaking the table, aren't I? Hold on a second. I'll be back up my chair. There. That's better. We've got to go official now, Hop. Can you confirm for the record that you're waiving your right to an attorney? No. I'm still not interested in an attorney. I mean, yes, I'm waiving my rights. Sorry. And I'm, uh... I'm as sound of mind as I'll ever be. Are you sure? Yes. Let the record show that Detective Hobson Milgate retired has waived his rights to an attorney. I won't need a lawyer after the DA stops puking and considers taking it public. They're not showing that to the jury. Are you ready to begin? No, but I'll talk anyway. What led you to the crime scene on the night in question? Would you believe that I was planning on taking a fishing trip before this started? Never mind. Hold on, I'm... I'm thinking, um... Hard to organize it all. Never been on this side of the interrogation table before. I guess it started with a reporter. Name of Bammer. She contacted me about a week ago by email and claimed that she knew information on the Driscoll murders. I was the lead investigator. The case had gone unsolved for 20 years. Cold as ice. But frankly, I thought it was all bullshit at first. You know how that can be. Most of the time, it's not even on purpose. Everyone thinks they know something that'll crack the case wide open. Theories are easy when you don't have to check on or go against evidence. The Driscoll murders were a big story around these parts. Lots of interest, lots of press. And over the years, I must have gotten a couple hundred shit theories. When I retired, I handed the investigation over to Detective Carroll. But I didn't want him to be bothered. I know he's busy with the recent gang activity. I figured I'd check it out as a courtesy. I wasn't expecting it to go anywhere. I met her for lunch at, uh, Ryer's Cafe. Good-looking blonde gal. Professional. So she didn't fit the typical profile of a hoaxer or conspiracy theorist. Not that I put too much faith in the profiles. And again, she might have also been one of those creepy gals that gives off on death. God knows that I've dealt with those too. I still thought that she might be trying to pull my leg, or maybe that she'd been fooled too. 
but she had a file with her. Looked legit. It contained what appeared to be a conversation by the Driscoll. Well, he wasn't a murderer, was he? I really do wish he had been, you know? It would have been so much better for everyone. Can you please fill us in on the relevant details of the Driscoll case? Let's see, um, it would have been about 20 years ago now. Thinking of all those years, I mean, 20 goddamn years. That's a long time to be... Take your time, Hop. Thanks. <clears throat> uh, the Driscolls were a family of six out in the suburbs. Upper middle class. Father was an attorney. Mother ran her own business selling pottery out of the house. Four children, all high school age and below. Good kids. On a roll. No criminal records to speak of. The oldest son was caught smoking dope, uh in high school ones, but nothing besides that. Just the typical stuff that you find when you look into people too closely. They disappeared uh, around October 13th, 1994. No trace was found of the bodies. The mystery, and seeing as how it was right around Halloween, is probably why the press went so crazy. You still see it show up on some of those unsolved mystery shows. A whole family disappeared and no one saw a thing. No one knew where they went. A neighbor lodged a sound complaint, which is how we got involved. There was a neighbor that had lodged a sound complaint, which is how we got involved. There was an alarm going off and they figured that there might be an intruder or something. We dispatched a vehicle and when no one answered the door, the patrolman went in to investigate. There were obvious signs of a struggle in the youngest daughter's bedroom. The bed had been flipped over and the sheets were torn. The alarm was a carbon monoxide detector. We found elevated concentrations of carbon monoxide on the fabric and on all the bread spreads except for the youngest daughters. We wouldn't have known to look without the alarm. The neighbor indicated that the alarm had been sounding for over a day, and he'd been unable to get anyone to answer the door during that time. We also found several aluminum canisters and some hoses in the dumpster a few blocks away. At the time, we assumed that the Driscolls had been gassed and disposed of at a different location. Excepting, of course, the daughter who woke up at the end and put up a struggle. Of course, our first thought was that the father did it. We checked it out, but he didn't have any motive. No leads to follow up on. Same with the mother. Surviving family checked out clean, too. The father had a few clients who might have had motive, but... The means weren't there. He was a divorce lawyer, but not for anybody who would have taken out an entire family without leaving evidence. There was a chemistry teacher who lived about three blocks away, and we investigated him for a while because of the canisters, but he alibied out. Same with the dentist who lived nearby. The wife had an online flirtation with some kid out in England, but nothing adulterous, and he wasn't even in the country at the time of the murder. We settled unhappy on the idea of a random killing. Hardest pieces of shit to catch when there's no pattern like that. We must have sunk tens of thousands of man hours into this case, chasing down leads. Nothing ever came of it. We did track down the canisters. They were stolen from a laboratory ten miles away. There was no security footage. We couldn't find any leads on the thief. And after six months with no repeat attacks, the investigation went cold. The Driscolls had been knocked out and abducted. Like I said, 
No one ever found the bodies. Who was to say that they just hadn't ran off? Until, well... I'd rather only talk about that once. What can you tell us about how the confession wound up with Miss Bomber? She'd been following the case for some years, both personally and as a reporter. Like I said, it captured the imagination of a lot of people. Even seemingly normal folks thought that it could have been aliens, ghosts, or demons. Miss Bomber published a retrospective on the murders given the 20-year anniversary. It caused a lot of renewed interest, which happened from time to time. As usual, I declined to comment, citing lack of new evidence. I remember her asking for my quote, though, which is why I accepted the lunch meeting. After publication of the article, Miss Bomber claimed that she had been sent a file. She was to have me authenticate. The most pertinent part of the file was a confession. I assured Miss Bomber that such false documents are not uncommon, especially on older cases like this, and that I personally heard two dozen confessions of the Driscoll murders. She was insistent, and once I felt that she wasn't trying to pull off a hoax or get off on the idea of talking about murder, I agreed to the meeting. She stated that the confession had been mailed to her in the same envelope she showed me when we first met over lunch. Can you describe the contents? Old newspaper clippings outlining the progress of my investigation. They seemed appropriately yellowed, so I'd guess that they were from the trophy book of the perpetrator. There were also six photos alleging to be the individual members of the Driscoll family, as well as several other photos of the facility where they had been taken. <laughs> Look at that. My hands won't stop shaking. See? Trying as hard as I can, I just can't make it happen. I'll have to ask the paramedic for a sedative when I'm done with the statement. I don't think I'll be able to sleep otherwise. No, I'm, I, I'm fine for now. I just... I don't want anything to interfere with my recollection for the recording. Just carrying it around in my head is like... Sorry. I'll stay focused. The photos were of the Driscoll family, of course. At the time, I didn't know that. The photos had aged poorly, and they could have been anyone. It was very hard to distinguish features. However, given the elaborate nature of the file... I figured it did warrant a further look. As the confession letter was very brief, it did give an address, and that's the first thing that I noticed. I couldn't locate the address online, which meant that it had to be old. The confession letter said, stop printing lies. I never killed anyone. It just took a little while to get them ready for breakfast, and there was no signature. I just remembered something. Uh, God damn it. We got sent a breakfast menu a month after the disappearance. Someone had drawn a red circle around a picture of pancakes, and the letter said, They're not dead. They're getting ready for breakfast. We put it in the junk lead file. God. Detective Millgate, do you need a moment? God. I... How could I have known? We tried to track down the menu. We could never find out where it came from. It wasn't any place local, and the identifying information had been cut out. I don't know what else I could have done. I just... Dear God. 
Why did you decide to personally investigate the location mentioned in the letter? Uh, sorry. Um, I wanted to make sure it wasn't a hoax. I still wasn't convinced. I've had 20 years of people sending me fake evidence. I guess maybe the case captured my investigation too. I also figured that one day I'd think of something I'd overlooked and solve the whole thing. It felt unbelievable to have someone dump the answer in my lap. I needed to see with my own two eyes. Miss Balmer had pinpointed the location with city records, but neither of us were sure if it was still there. It was an abandoned industrial building. The last time that it had a valid email address was nearly 50 years ago. It might have caved in for all we knew. I think I also wanted to be the one to crack it. Whether or not it was dumped in my lap. The case had hung over my head for the last 20 years. Ms. Bomber and I agreed to meet there the following morning. Can you describe the crime scene? Yes. Um, it was an industrial building, as I stated. Approximately 120 feet long by maybe 45 feet wide. It was a wooden structure, and at first the conditions seemed to match the neighboring buildings. However, I noticed the facade had been recently patched in a few locations. Further investigation also revealed that the entrance had been chained and locked. My understanding was that it was used to buy a sheet metal shop. At least... Excuse me, is there a garbage can? I might vomit. Thank you. We... Sorry. I thought I was empty. No. I want to get this done with. And then I'm going to want that sedative. I could smell something from inside the building. Very faintly. I figured that would count as probable cause. Not that I needed it as I was a civilian. But you never forget the way that a corpse smells. They were bad enough that they had the same smell. I hadn't forgotten how to pick a lock, so I let myself in. You know, I do really wish that they had been corpses. I really wish that he had been a serial killer. I really do. Please say you believe me. I do. Can you describe the interior of the building? I'm trying to focus this through. Um, I, I really am. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just that I'd like to go to sleep after this for a very long time. Is there a paramedic here? Is the sedative ready? <sighs> Thank goodness. The warehouse had not been as abandoned as we previously were led to believe. The interior had a hallway with six rooms. The construction was old but visibly newer than the rest of the building. The walls between each room had been soundproofed. There were no windows to the outside or doorways between the rooms themselves. The only access was through the hallway. 
I tried to make Miss Bomber leave at that point. You see, the smell was stronger inside. You could feel it, the smell. Like a grit getting stuck in your nose. Like bits of sandpaper all over your skin. The rooms, um... The rooms contained presses. Hydraulic presses. Four foot by eight foot custom presses. I couldn't figure out what they were at first because they were hovering over what looked like hospital beds. There were IV bags in each room as well as other medical equipment. That's how he kept them alive for so long, of course. I think I might be seeing black spots. Do you need a break? The idea of having to start this again is worse than any idea of finishing it. And please, describe your next course of action. The building was obviously an active crime scene. I had no doubt at this point. I was in the lair of what I believed to be a serial killer. I tried to tell Miss Bomber to leave several times. She refused on the grounds that it would not be right to leave me on my own. There wasn't much time to make out the issue of it. My opinion of her was that she was just a bit nosy, but basically alright, and I didn't think that she'd be a liability if she just stayed out of my way. I had to make a judgement call as to whether or not I should proceed on my own in case the family was somehow, impossibly, still alive and perhaps in danger or if I should just leave and call for backup. I told my wife where I was going previously so I knew my absent wouldn't be noted and reported if the worst happened. Neither of us could get cell phone reception. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. It was then that I heard... Not even a gasp, it was like a gasp, but not really. I don't want to describe it any more than that. There was a sound that drew my attention further on, and I had to act, and that's all that matters. There were some stairs at the very far end of the warehouse descending into the basement. I told Miss Bomber to remain behind and pulled my service revolver. I had a flashlight on my person as well, and turned it on as I descended into the basement. The basement had been hand-dug, maybe even over the course of the entire 20-year disappearance. I don't know. The floor was dirt, and there was a tunnel that had retreated far back enough that it had to be supported by struts at regular intervals. When my flashlight first illuminated the... stack, I wish that they had been dead. I wish... He'd been a serial killer. Please, take a moment. After I... After I recovered, my first thought was, Thank God they're all dead. <coughs> I am 64 years old, for Christ's sakes. I'm not a young man who can forget things anymore. When you're a young man, you have the sense that you're invincible and that you're never going to die. I don't have that to protect me anymore. Look at me whining. When they had that done to them, 
It's my fault. I should have found them. Saved them somehow. I'm sorry, Hob. I've got to ask. Can you describe the scene? Yeah. <coughs> I can. I didn't know what I was looking at at first. Hell, I still don't. It was... Well, it was a stack. Maybe two feet thick. From the stink and coloring, it was obviously made of flesh. I thought maybe that he'd hacked them and stacked them into pieces. That would have been bad enough. The first thing that alerted me to the truth was the eyeball. On the top of the stack was a perfectly round eyeball in the middle of a socket that had been distorted to the size of a saucer. And that's when I realized what I was looking at. Twenty goddamn years of torture, basically. He had the entire Driscoll family under those presses for 20 years, keeping them alive on an IV drip, increasing the pressure on them so very slowly that their bodies had time to adapt, until they'd been flattened like pancakes. He squished them by about a quarter inch every year for 20 years. Then he'd pulled them out when they were too broken and wretched to move, without any chance of recovering and stack them on top of each other. I've got no idea what for. And I don't want to know. And I was still thinking, thank God they're all dead. When the one on top started gasping again. What did he say? Nothing at first. It couldn't speak without help. I think it would have been Avery Driscoll. Not that I could tell much about the gender or the age. The hair was blonde where there was hair. The head was a mess of scars. And I think the son of a bitch who did this must have removed parts of their skull. I've got no idea how he got their heads so flat otherwise. Not as flat as the rest of the bodies, but flat. Who the hell knows how their brains handled that? Their lips were punctured by teeth otherwise. After the presses had flattened out their noses, I guess. Avery was 14 when he disappeared. I've stopped shaking. Goddamn weird the way our bodies work, isn't it? What else? There was a machine. A sort of pump. I followed a hose with my flashlight and realized that everyone in the stack was hooked up to the pump. I don't think that they could breathe on their own, you see. Not after a while. There simply wasn't enough volume for their lungs to inflate. There was some sort of opening cut right into each of their chests. There was a switch on the pump. And I don't know why I pressed it. I was in a panic that wanted to do something, maybe just some stupid part of me thought that if I switched it on that they would inflate and be okay. I switched it on and increased the volume of air to the topmost hose. 
and I could hear the pump working harder. Which is when Avery Driscoll started to scream. He begged me to kill him. He said other things too. He didn't make much sense. Kept yelling bane of error over and over again. Something about the family too. Didn't understand it. He was in pain and I had hoped that he had gone insane several years previously. Oh my god. My thoughts exactly. I didn't know what to do. He wouldn't stop screaming. I believe he was convinced that I was his torturer. A closer look at his eye revealed that it was mostly a mess of white scar tissue. He was as blind as a bat. You know, I spoke with some burn victims once. They told me that they managed to find meaning and purpose again after a while. I don't know how anyone in the Driscoll family could have done that. I stated my name. I told them I was a detective. I told them that I was there to help. I repeated it over and over again, knowing, of course, that there was nothing that anyone anywhere could do to help. Miss Bomber arrived, drawn by the sound. Before she saw the stack, she told me that I had screamed and she had come to help. But I don't remember having done so. Nevertheless, she arrived. Then she saw the stack and screamed, but I was intent on Avery Driscoll. He was able to hear, and he became lucid for a few moments. It was a strain to understand what he had said, but I'll never be able to forget it. Please kill me. It hurts. I don't want to be a monster. Please kill me and tell my family I died a long time ago. I don't know if they're still looking for me. Don't let them know what happened to me. Please kill me. He could still cry, and he did. Although his tear ducts were too deformed for it to be noticeable. I should have forced Miss Bomber to leave. That is the only action in the matter which I regret more than failing to solve the case 20 years ago. Not just for her own sake, but for what she did next. I don't think that she could have wounded them any more deeply if she tried. She took away the last comfort any of them on the stack had had. You see, they had not been able to speak to one another for 20 years. She had gone on to say that that's all of them, isn't it? That's the entire Driscoll family. They're all still alive in there. The whole family. For 20 years, each member of the Driscoll family had been unaware their fellow inmates were the other members of their family. They'd all been holding out hope that their family was okay. All of them dreaming someone out there loved them and was free from suffering. You know what the screams of six people tortured over two decades, smashed down to the width of four inches sounds like when they're all stacked on top of one another? Sounds like the gates of hell swinging open. I think that's enough, Detective Milgate. Not yet. It was my mistake. I should have tried harder. Maybe that's what they meant, screaming like that. It was my error, so it was my responsibility. 
and I shot them. Mercy's hard, but I owed it to them. I am the one that failed to save them. It only took one bullet to go all the way through. I emptied my revolver, though, to make sure that they didn't linger, to give them that final peace. It was the only kindness that I had to give them. We left and called for backup after that. Neither Miss Bomber nor I wished to remain with the bodies. I elected not to follow the crime scene investigators back into the basement. I asked if I could make my statement and leave, and after one of them saw what I had seen, they agreed. Can I have that sedative now? Y yes, of course. Thank you. Please show in the paramedic. I'll roll up my sleeve. My wife has diabetes, so I'm well aware of the routine. Oh, and please make sure that you show the same courtesy available for Miss Bomber. She seemed to have it worse than me after. Poor woman couldn't even throw up or cry. Of course. Do you know where she is now? She told the lead at the crime scene that she was going to go home, but we haven't been able to reach her. Did you try the paper? Which paper? The Daily World. Are you sure? There is no one by the last name of Bomber on the staff with the Daily World. 